0: Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name
1: sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan
2: hi everyone I'm Kelly McMillan I'm your host and for the next hour we're going to be talking about uh, just about anything related to uh, the shooting sports and uh, firearms industry uh, excited about our guests today and uh, we'll get to that in, in just a few minutes I want to thank everyone who listens to us live on a regular basis I really appreciate that uh, you know the, the the majority of the people that hear these shows actually hear them uh, on demand by going to our website and clicking on the link and then and listening to whichever of the episodes that they want to hear, but we have a, a following of loyal listeners that listen to us live, so I'm, I'm going to apologize for the last couple of weeks. We've had some technical difficulties, and I'm going to warn you right now, if you hear some buzzing and some staticky sound, followed by a lot of swearing, and then a big crash, uh, you'll know what happened, because I am really... Frustrated with the technical problems that we've had, but we've we've changed our soundboard twice. We've done uh, changed microphones. We've done everything we can to make the show go as smoothly as possible. But when you're on air online um, via the Internet. Uh, And broadband or whatever this is that we're on uh, Sometimes you just cannot predict what's going to happen So we're doing our very best And and I appreciate you tuning in to listen to us um, Knowing that we sometimes have a a problem or two I'm here with my co-host today, Zeb Nadler He's uh, owner of bestdronage.com And um, I just thought he might want to say hi to everybody
3: Hello, everybody. Thank you, and uh, if you hear that crash followed by silence on my mic, you'll know that Zev is dead.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would only be because the uh, soundboard missed the wall and hit Zev, so uh, (laughs) it wouldn't ever be aimed at him directly. Our first guest is uh, a guy I met uh, about a year ago. I I spent some time up in Canada at the um, Canadian Cup. America's Cup matches uh, the US team was up there shooting so I wanted to go find out what it was all about and spend a week up there in the rain man was it raining hard but uh, Scott Bissett is from Canada and he's an F-class shooter and more importantly though he's uh, the guy who is actually putting on not only the Canadian Nationals but also the world championships up in Connaught uh, in August so I'd like to welcome him to the show Scott thanks for being with us
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Kelly, and uh, hi to you and Zev.
2: Well, I'm glad you could take this time to spend with us because I think it's important. A lot of people don't understand what goes into putting on a match, especially if they're not competitors. You know, they think about going out to shoot and uh, maybe going out into the desert or into the woods and uh, finding a a space that's safe and then, you know, shooting a few rounds. But uh, there are places all over the country. Uh, Right now, Camp Perry's going on, one of the largest... uh, Um, Matches uh, or a bunch of matches that are put together. Uh, I know they're doing some matches at Camp Atterbury this year that they have done in the past at Camp Perry. So Mm -hmm. people don't realize how many thousands of competitive shooters they have. They're just amazed when they they find out that, man, I just didn't know that there were that many people who like shooting. Tell us a little bit about you, your history. Uh, I'm assuming you grew up in Canada. Uh, How you got involved with firearms and and how you got to where you are today.
1: Uh, Well, uh, yep. uh, born and raised in Ottawa. Um, I'm, uh, I guess, a salesperson by... uh by trade, I have a, a, a very understanding wife and three young children. Uh, my my role with the, the Dominion Canada Rifle Association is uh, is as a volunteer. Uh, so that the work that we do, uh, planning matches uh, in conjunction with with the office staff, is uh, is a volunteer position. Um, started F class shooting in uh, 2011 after meeting some guys at a local range. They encouraged me to come out to Connaught. Uh, I met uh, my good friend Barry Price out there who, uh, who got me involved in, in F-Class shooting and it's, it's, been, uh, it's been an adventure since. I uh, started organizing matches with Barry uh, in 2012 and uh, was asked uh, in 2012 by the DCRA to, to take on the, uh, the role of, of match organizer for the, the 2017 F-Class World Championships
2: so how did that happen I, I know from being in the dance community that there are certain people who love to dance who never really like to compete fortunately West Coast Swing is a very social dance when we go to a dance we dance with a lot of people um, my wife and I we usually dance two or three dances together and then we go off and dance with all of our friends from around the country uh, and you know we usually end the night with a couple of dances before we come home but um, Shooting is a little bit different. You, you basically became so good at organizing that they entrusted you to do probably two of the biggest matches that Canada will ever see. How did that happen? Well, I, I think we had, some, we had some pretty good uh,
1: initial success in, in the Eastern Canada F-Class Championships, which were uh, held, I think, believe, for the sixth year. Uh, just last year, or just last weekend, um, and and I think people people saw the work that Barry and I were doing. Um, Barry is a uh, is a very accomplished shooter, and, and and I I'm I would say less so as an individual. But I, I really do enjoy uh, the logistics and and, and the um, I guess the sense of gratification you get when somebody comes to to your home range and and just really enjoys the time that they they they've spent there. Um, you know, my my father. Volunteered quite a bit growing up, whether it was uh, on hockey teams or soccer teams or or, or whatever and uh, and really kind of instilled in us this this uh, sense of obligation that if you want to be part of a community you've got you know you've got to give back to it to the best of your ability and i and I find that to be honest more rewarding uh, to to help organize matches um, than I do you know winning a winning a five dollar medal in a match
2: I guess that was my question and I, I wanted to know I wanted you you to say that because it's definitely a different mindset from being a top level competitor to somebody who is willing as a volunteer to dedicate so much time and energy into doing what you do in order to put on a big match like you do for little or no reward at all even emotionally and subjecting yourself to all the ridicule that every every match director gets because of all of the issues that can come up during a match which would maybe lend itself to one person winning when the other guy feels like he didn't have a fair chance. And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit more, and and we'll do that uh, in the future. But what do you think it is about you that makes it more interesting more fun and drives you more to be an organizer or a match director than it was a competitor
1: i i just i've I've always grown up playing team sports and i you know i never really did anything um as an individual it was always as a member of a team and 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 in some sports hockey uh to a reasonably high level um and i just i have always enjoyed that 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 camaraderie and, and that uh, and that sense of team, um, I I get a tremendous amount of enjoyment out of uh, out of meeting fellow shooters from around the world. I mean, it's uh, it's been a you know a true blessing to to be able to call you know people from you know 13, 14 different countries friends and and and, and genuinely mean that and and that's all come about through my involvement in shooting and it, it's. Uh, it's been it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I love having people over to the house. We you know we had uh, about 15 people over last weekend for a barbecue. We just we hung out and we talked. And, and to me, those are the memories that 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 mean something. Um, you know, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose um, on the shooting range, and most people are are not going to go home with the gold. But if, you know, if you can have fun and and uh, get a chance to enjoy each other's company. That to me is is you know the bigger win.
3: Scott, you know some of the uh, folks in, in our sport actually work in IT or in management positions they they do project management and so on and as a as the logistics person, I got to ask, are you using any kind of project server are you using um, a specific logistics application to really keep track of everything that's going on
1: uh, it's actually quite a bit simpler than that uh, we're, we're using you know a series of Excel sheets. Um, You know, for the different facets of of the program, or of the of the shooting program, whether it's uh, you know from staffing to medals and trophies to uh, competitor lists, Uh, we share that on Dropbox. Uh, I don't work in in the DCRa office, so so we had to come up with a mechanism to share that information. Uh, But I mean, DCRa is is as an organization really good at at. at running matches, and, and Kathy Corker in, in particular. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure shooters all over the U.S. and all around the world will be very familiar with Kathy's name. Uh, she's sort of synonymous with, with DCRA shooting at this point. Um, and, and, you know, with, with some support and some input from the specific activity captains or, 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 or chairs, um, you know, if we, if we can provide good direction uh, as far as what we need help with, uh, the, the office is great at, at kind of sorting that out for us. So, you know, it's not as much work as it could have or could have or should have been. Um, and, and I have to be, you know, very, very grateful for, to Kathy and the DCRA staff for taking on such uh, such a huge amount of the work.
2: Now, just for some clarity, Scott, DCRA, is that like the NRA and the NRA sanctioned matches that that are run in the U.S.?
1: It's it's. More akin to the competitions division of the NRA, uh, the, the Dominion Canada Rifle Association isn't um, doesn't have any sort of political um, position on firearms ownership or anything like that. It's it's, it's really the the governing body for full bore rifle sports in Canada, and that, that's really the um, you know the the mission of the DCRA is is to conduct full bore rifle matches. Uh, whether that be F-class or service rifle or, or target rifle, uh, which is, you know, really what the DCRA is known for.
2: Which is a little bit different than the competition division of the NRA, which covers a full spectrum of, of pistol, shotgun, uh, rifle, uh, probably even archery, I'm not sure. But, um, but it is spe- specifically focused on as a sanctioning body for full bore matches. Exactly. Okay, Good. Uh, I just want to clear that up for our listeners. Not everybody knows the, the nomenclature. We just want to make sure everybody knows what's going on. Um, sure. y- you, you've got probably the biggest month uh, in your career as a, an organizer and as a, a match director. Tell us what, what starts it off and, and what, what you're going to be going through for the next month.
1: Uh, well, right now we're, um, you know, we're we're getting close to a point where we're expecting that the comp- the the competitor list will be will be finalized. Uh, the order for the uh, for the championship medals was confirmed yesterday, so we'll we'll have those in within you know within a couple weeks. Uh, markers and 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 our range staff are all hired, uh, so really it's going to be about getting information packets put together, doing squatting. Um, you know, making sure that we've got kind of all the, uh, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. Uh, the, the, the big, big work has, has, has been mostly done at this point. Um, there'll be a lot of phone calls back and forth between myself and the DCRA office. Um, it's, uh, we, you know, we've got a list that we're managing off of, and, uh, and I think, you know, all of our, all of our volunteers and all of our staff have a pretty good idea of what areas they're responsible for, um, and that was something that was put in place very, very early on by uh, uh, the executive director uh, at the DCRA, uh, Don Hazel.
2: Do you have? Uh, let's talk specifically about the Canadian Championships, which are coming up first. I think you told me yeah. that was August eighth. Uh, yes, eighth, eighth, ninth, and tenth. Um, do you have a maximum? A number of shooters that you can handle in the match.
1: Uh, at this point, based on the markers that we that we have on staff, uh, the, the theoretical maximum would be four hundred and thirty-four competitors, and that's uh, four relays, pair firing, on fifty-four target frames. And how close are you to that? Uh, right now, we're sitting a uh, last I checked about three hundred and fifty. Okay, so
2: is, that's which
1: fair- is you know uh, about double, not quite double what we had last year. Uh, but we had 100 the year before, about 200 last year, and then you know we, we expect probably you know between 375 and 400 this year uh, when all is said and done. So it's wow. been a, a, an exercise in
2: scaling for sure. That's phenomenal. I'm assuming that uh, now. Let's get this out there. Can non-Canadians compete in the Canadian Championship?
1: Absolutely. Uh, the oh. defending, the, the three-time defending uh, Canadian champion. In F Open is Shiraz Balolliya.
2: I know him. He won last year when when I was in Canada. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so I know Shiraz I is hear, eager to come back and defend his title. Yeah. The reason I ask is because um, are you seeing some of the world competitors coming early to be able to, to kind of compete in the in the Canadian and then kind of get a feel for the match before the world?
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, I know the South African team is coming in. Uh, in late July, uh, very, very towards the end of July, very early August, the uh, the Great Britain team will be in uh, probably three or four days ahead of uh, ahead of our practice day on the seventh. Uh, I, I expect that most of the the large international teams will be very well represented uh, in a, in our national championships.
2: Well, I don't expect you to know. Um, but if you do, you can help me out because I, I want to make sure I get it right. I know that the Americans have won a couple of world championships. I think this they're going for their third in a row. Is that correct? Uh, I believe you're correct on the FTR side uh-huh.
1: for sure. Uh, Daryl Buell captained the FTR team in 2009 and two thir- 2013 in Raton uh, to gold. And I know that... Uh, speaking with friends who are on that team that are eager to repeat that
2: who are some of the other uh, teams coming in for the worlds that you expect to do well
1: uh, i think the canadian team with uh, with kevin and will chew as wind coaches are going to be very hard to beat um you know they are almost certainly the best wind readers in canada and, and probably among the best in the world um you know they last year uh kevin won our FTR national championship and actually had a, a score equal to uh, the score that was posted by Shiraz in winning the F Open side. So it's a, you know, a tremendous accomplishment and a credit to, to how good Kevin and Will are at reading the wind. Uh, you know, the GB team is very comfortable uh, here in Canada. Uh, conditions pretty similar to Bisley. Uh, so I expect they'll do well. And, and and the South African team did very well last year in, in our international match. So I, I expect they'll be uh, they'll be very strong.
2: How many uh, national teams will you have?
1: Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the F-class nationals, we run um, kind of a, a, a unique match, which we call the international match, and it's a similar structure to the America match with uh, four shooters on the FTR side and four shooters on the F-open side. Uh, and I sincerely hope we'll have six or seven countries represented in that this year. Um, speaking on the world's side... Uh, we've got a total of 13 uh, big teams uh, split between FTR and F-Open.
2: Now, those are eight-man teams?
1: Uh, in the in the World Championship, yes.
2: And how many of the teams can shoot on the line at one time? Is no, we'll it, are you every- probably going to run two relays?
1: No, we're going to run everybody at the same time. Okay. So cannot yeah, an- is, is amazing that way. Yeah, we've got the wit to kind of get everybody up there and, and, and uh, staying out of each other's way. So
2: That answers the question of, uh, you know, how are you going to keep uh, one, someone from complaining that they got the bad relay and the conditions were bad. That's, it's awesome when you can shoot them all at one time so nobody can complain about that. Of course, somebody's going to say, well, I got the bad end of the range. That <laughs> happens all the time. Yep. There's, there's always something that's <laughs> happened, for sure. Yeah. Um, how many um, competitors will you have in the World Championships? You, you have individual worlds because I know that um, Matt Schwartzkopf is coming up. We, I spoke to him just the other day. Yep. He's going to shoot in the individual match, though he's calling wind in one of the periphery matches, and I can't remember the name of it.
1: In, in um, I, I don't know that there's a formal name for it, but I think in the F-class community we call it the Rutland matches, which are right, the, exactly. the four-man matches that that are shot alongside the, um, the national teams.
2: Right. So, and I remember that because it's a four-man team and he did say the Rutland Gup, So, But he's going to shoot as a, an individual competitor. Uh, how many individual competitors do you have signed up?
1: Uh, right now, I believe we're right around 420, uh, which is getting pretty close to our, our capacity of uh, 432 or 434.
2: Well, I think everybody who has decided to either attend the Canadian Championships or the Worlds has probably already made plans. I don't think anybody's going to hear this uh, radio show and say, man, I I better get signed up. But if they did, uh, how would they go about it? Uh, All of the entry forms are on our
1: website, uh, 2017FCWC.ca. There's a tab for entry forms there for both uh, the Canadian Nationals and the F-Class World Championships. Uh, get them into the office, uh, the DCRA office, and Kathy will get them processed and, and back to you. It's, it's actually quite, quite a quick and painless process. Uh, so if anybody's sitting on the fence, uh, you know, I certainly encourage you to come out and do it. Uh, we, know, we know with you know, a great deal of certainty that there won't be another F-Class uh, World Championships in North America for at least another uh, eight years. Uh, the next ones in 2021 will be on South Africa. Uh, and then 2025 will either be in uh, Great Britain or in Ireland.
2: Well, great. And I, I recommend anybody that uh, gets a chance to go to Connaught, go. It's a beautiful place. Uh, that reminds me, though, there's, there's some things that Americans have to do and all foreigners, I'm sure. But for us, we've got to go to the customs office. We've got to get some paperwork filled out so that we can bring our guns out of the country and then back in. Um, I'm assuming everybody's coming in through Ottawa if they're not driving. Uh, Is the airport in Ottawa pretty well set up to take care of that transition fairly easily, getting your guns in and out?
1: Yeah, I mean, getting actually for, for, especially for American competitors coming to, to Canada, it's, it's actually a fairly straightforward process. There's a, an RCMP, there's our Royal Canadian Mounted Police, there's a form they call 909, uh, which basically is a declaration of what firearms you're bringing into Canada, how much ammunition, and and why you're bringing it in. Um, so that's presented uh, to the customs officer when you're arriving in Canada. They may choose to inspect the, the firearm or the ammunition, but... Um, once that form is completed, I believe it's a $25 fee, and, and that gives that the, you know, the bearer of that firearm uh, a temporary possession license in Canada so that you know, they, can, they can travel to Knot. Um Typically with international uh, competitors, the DCRA office also will, will send along a letter of, uh, of, of uh, invite uh, to, to accompany that paperwork so that the, uh, the customs officers or the RCMP officer will, will know that Uh, the person is is known to the DCRA and that they are coming to Canada with with a firearm to
3: compete. It sounds like a very polite process. (laughs) (laughs) We'd expect nothing more. You know, Kelly, I think I I remember you talking about being up there last year and there being quite a bit of rain. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened up there
2: last year? Well, uh, you know, I can't tell you anything about what happened on the, the firing line except that everybody was wet from their head to their feet even if they had rain gear on you know when you're laying down on the ground uh, it doesn't matter what kind of protection you've got the rain's going to get into you but but the nice thing was is that the temperature was in the the high 70s so it wasn't unbearably cold or anything. Uh, Scott what what do you think that the weather's going to be like uh, in August this year? Uh, August is a bit
1: is a bit of a a crapshoot to be honest in Ottawa we you know if we look at that that same week last year uh, we had temperatures into 105, 110 Fahrenheit uh, on the on the uh, the national team practice days and the first day of our nationals, uh, and then the skies opened up and we had you know torrential rains for for two days while we shot the final day of nationals and the America match. Uh, so for for competitors coming up to Connaught, uh, you know we certainly recommend that uh, you have good rain gear. We do shoot in the rain. Uh, lightning will, will cause us to stop, but but we do uh, we do and will shoot in the rain this year, um, and you know be comfortable. Uh, layers are are always great. It can be a little cool in the morning, uh, and then it can it can warm up uh, significantly uh, in the afternoon with especially with the humidex. Um, you know, so we, we caution people to make sure they're they're drinking lots of water. Uh, and, they, and that uh, they're taking good care of their ammunition, uh, not leaving it out in the sun. Uh, we don't want to see any, any sort of pressure issues or anything like that related to uh, to overly hot ammunition, that type of thing.
2: Well, I'm glad I missed the first couple of days of that 100-degree temperature because <laughs> I know with the way the humidity is up there that that would have been real miserable. Here in Arizona, when the temperature is 100, we think it's cool because the humidity is about 7%. But, uh, yeah, it would have been different up there. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that I was... Really surprised at how good the scores were. I, I didn't really think that the scores diminished, were diminished that much by the amount of rain. Yeah,
1: it's it's amazing what you know what that what that kind of the top tier shooters are able to do. Um, you know, the advantage that we had is that the wind wasn't too strong, so that, you know the uh, the rain can almost act as a you know another form of a mirage if it's, if it's blowing straight down um you know what to do with it um but but that said everybody dealt with it really really well uh we didn't have any any sort of safety issues related to ammunition getting wet uh you know people went about their business uh when it got too heavy we stopped uh you know resumed shooting when it was when it was reasonable to do so our our target marking staff did a phenomenal job uh getting target faces repaired and re- and ready to be to be used again so uh you know we couldn't do this without the phenomenal markers that we have at Kanawha. We're very, very lucky to have them.
2: You know, I, I've heard that that in most matches, the biggest problem is the targets, because the targets get wet, the spotters don't stick, the, they sag, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I know in Arizona, sometimes they'll quit shooting simply because they can't protect the targets well enough to keep them dry, so they just don't try to use them. Um, but you you have that solved? Uh, I, I won't say that we
1: have it 100% solved, but we certainly have uh, you know plan plans A, B, C, and D thought through as far as, as how we're going to respond. Uh, last year's weather was a, was a great uh, great learning opportunity for us. Uh, you know, we figured out uh, you know what we needed to do in terms of, of core plast and, and uh, glue and paper material paper material for the targets themselves. So it was uh, a lot of lessons learned from last year um, that that we're going to help help ensure things stay on the rails this year
2: well Scott we're just about out of time I want to thank you for spending this time with us I'm going to be there for the entire week of the team matches and, and I'm I'm hoping for my own sake that we don't have a lot of rain uh that conditions are great and the shooting is phenomenal because uh i'm really looking forward to being up there and just kind of taking in the whole thing even though i'm not going to be shooting being a part of a team like that and being a sponsor of a team is just so exciting i i, I can't wait i look forward to seeing you when i get up there well thank you again for uh, for having me on and then thank you to to you and everybody in mcmillan for
1: for all you do to support the shooting sports
2: well, thanks. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned that uh, your position was a volunteer. I want everybody to know that it's, it's like a full-time job. Volunteer—it's like being uh, an apprentice or a, um, running a, a business where you get a college student come in and you get to have them work forty hours a week for you know, six months and don't have to pay them. Indentured uh, servitude—you <laughs> <Well, laughs> might call it that—but but, <laughs> um, but I, I really appreciate all the work you do. You do a fine job, and and I'm looking forward to being up there. Thank you, Kelly. We'll, I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Okay, Scott, thanks. Now, I want to ask everybody to um, stay tuned for the next minute and a half or so while we do some commercials and take care of the business. Uh, Look forward to getting on with our next guest, and we'll be right back.
0: Looking for exciting video content, live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan Stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show.
2: I would like to thank everybody for sticking around through the commercial break. Uh, What a great guest. Scott's such a good guy. He really works hard. The the matches that he puts on are, are second to none. And, I have to stress one more time that it's it's all done at no charge. He's a volunteer, so um, he puts in hours and hours of work to make sure that other people have a good time, and that's just kind of the definition of a selfless guy and and how the shooting sports is basically around the world. There are people all over putting on matches that basically get nothing out of it, except the fact that they know that they're helping people to be able to enjoy their passion. And I, I really, really like having people like that on the show. Our next guest is known in all types of accuracy, um, as probably the preeminent stock guy in the country. Uh, If you ask anybody well what about this Alex Sittman guy in Masterclass Stocks everybody will tell you well if you can get him to do the work it's as good as there is. Alex I want to thank you for being on the show today. Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We normally start off um, with our guest uh, telling us a little bit about your history, where you grew up, um, what you did uh, when you were younger, how you got into the gun business, and and uh, where you're at today. Okay, well, uh,
4: as I said before, I uh, grew up here in eastern uh, United States and uh, central Pennsylvania. Uh, we're surrounded by great mountains and stuff, but uh, played sports all through school, but never hunted until I actually... Uh, My last year in high school, my friends got into it with me, and uh, we hunted. And after I graduated, about two or three years after I graduated, I went to a rifle match just with a friend just to watch, and I got hooked. And from that point on, I started uh, doing some target shooting and everything. And uh, at that time, Kelly, there, there wasn't anybody that did that type of accuracy work that I really didn't even know about it. And uh, I started tinkering with my own stuff, and and um, you know one thing led to the other. I, I worked in a factory, a glass factory, making automotive glass for about eighteen years. And as I kept building my my knowledge on how to do some of these rifles, uh, I kept building my business. And one day I just uh, decided I had enough of the glass factory and quit. And I've been doing this. Uh, I believe it's been. 31 years now. So it's it's been good. It's been a good business.
2: Well, congratulations on that 31 years is a long time, but I see that you've been married to your wife Deborah for 39. That that's incredible. Uh, congratulations on that too.
4: Well, thank you because I will tell you and anybody in business will tell you without a good wife it's hard to have a successful business, but she's been my greatest supporter and um encourager and you
2: know kept the faith with me so it's been good it's been a good ride well I can attest to that too because my mother was right there beside my dad helping him make all the tough decisions when you're when you've taken every penny that you've ever made and been able to save all two thousand dollars of it and you (laughs) want to quit work and start a business You've got to have somebody standing behind you saying, "Yeah, it's okay, honey. Go ahead. Yeah, we, we can handle it." So, yeah. so I understand exactly what you're talking about.
4: Mm-hmm. Yep, it's been good. You you know, Kelly, I I just it, it always reminds me that when I started, uh, there was no no one used the internet. I, I mean, like I said, I ran a shoot uh, an ad in Shooting Sports USA for twenty five dollars, and of course you had to have a little bit of a brochure. And I I mean, it was hard to get your name out there back in those days compared to now, you know, you can open up a business and be on some of these websites and have, you know, 50,000 people see you, you know, so there was a difference back in those
2: days. Yeah, but that doesn't make you good and no, that 's what no. what people have to realize in today 's day and age. You can have a great looking website. you can have all of this fancy stuff, and it doesn 't tell you a thing about what the quality of the work is going to be so it 's basically you 've just got to listen to people who've who 've done business with them and and really the word of mouth i don 't even like to trust the online um Oh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Commerce? No, the uh, when when somebody gives a Chat. a little no a description of of whether something is good or bad. What oh, the heck is that called? A testimonial? Yelp. Oh, like or, Yelp, yeah, right. Yeah, you can't trust any of those because half of them are getting paid to write something good, and the other half are getting paid to write something bad. And, you know, there are services out
3: there in Bangladesh and in India. called One of them is called Fiverr with two R's at the end. You can hire a fellow for $5 to guarantee that he'll get you
2: 150 subscribers to your YouTube channel. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. So you can't even trust those uh, types of things on the Internet. You just have to go with what people have actually, uh, you know, have had some work. So everyone I've ever known that has done work with, uh, had you done work for him, has, has been full of praise. One thing I can tell you, you were talking about how difficult it was. You're in the hotbed of accuracy. I mean, Pennsylvania, you've got... Um, the 1,000-yard bench rest at Williamsport, you've got yep. a lot of, you've got, you know, the Hart, uh, Robert W. Harton's son was in Pennsylvania. I mean, you have a lot of people around you, and a lot of really good shooters came out of Pennsylvania, so I think it it might not have been as difficult for you as somebody out here in Arizona where, yeah, we got some pretty good shooters out here and a few good uh, mechanics, but not like Pennsylvania.
4: Well, uh, that's true. We have, uh, I cut my teeth actually on building small bore prone guns and before I went into the national match course type and Camp Perry style shooting, but, uh, and, and they're very critical, very, well-tuned equipment, and you know, at that time Frank Boyd was selling select lots of of uh, uh, Ely Red and and Black Box and R R50, and I would see Frank Boyd at Dauphin at these prone matches, and they had heart-barreled uh, rifles, and they would test them, and then you could buy the groups, and and you're right, you know, Carl Bernowski, uh, there wasn't a finer shooter, uh, you know, in the country than Carl, and and Carl you know it's from Pennsylvania and he won 10 11 whatever national championships in high power and stuff and then he won it in small bore uh, the one year out there at Paris so uh, yeah we have some uh, we we have some some great shooters here in Pennsylvania for sure
2: well, and a very high level of understanding on what accuracy is too, and I think that's what plays right into your wheelhouse. Um, so you started in small bore. I know that one of the problems that McMillan has always had in small bore is that, to be perfectly honest, the rifle doesn't really have a lot of a lot to do with the success of a small bore shooter, uh, I think most everybody has always kind of agreed that the ammunition is the limiting factor in small bore. Uh, uh, finding the right lot of ammo and and being able to get that lot that shoots in your gun and having a fiberglass stock on it really doesn't make a lot of difference. So we didn't sell a lot of uh, small bore stocks over the years. Uh,
4: yeah, I would I would have to agree with that because of you know, I uh, did at the in the day a lot of work with Carl Kenyon, and uh, what a you know what a treasure that is. And Carl, uh, whether we were doing fifty two Winchesters with his trigger or the fifty four anlss at that time, as great as Carl was, and you know he was he, he's a legend in himself. but um the last words he would always say to me, Kelly, were well, I hope it shoots, and that's that, and that's just what you got. Because if you didn't have the right ammo, and tuned, and you know we played with torque on the screws and everything uh, to get them to shoot, it just it would look like you didn't know what you were doing. So uh, they're 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 finicky for sure.
2: Well, there's a thing about uh, small bore shooters too. Um, we were my dad was close friends with Art Cook for a long time, and, oh, and yeah. if anybody in the small bore field knows who our cook is, and he told me personally that his small bore rifle has over a million rounds to it, and he's never cleaned it, so oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can believe that or not, but, but he swears it was true, so, um, uh, you know, when a gun's shooting good, you just keep shooting it until it doesn't shoot good anymore, I suppose, and and I guess it never got to that point, so he never cleaned it, but yeah. there are a lot of things about small bore people just don't understand, and I, I'm mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's it's, diff- it's a different
4: beast. Uh, I will say this, uh, Kelly, that some uh, when, when the Palma shooting a few years back there, probably 10, 15 years ago, was really getting hot and heavy, and guys were building a lot of Palma rifles, we built a large number of very good, high-quality Palma shooters, small bore rigs, because if you could... If you could shoot a small bore gun at 100 yards, uh, well, shoot a clean score at 100 yards, um, it enhanced your high power shooting because of the slower, you know, barrel time and everything of the rimfire. And to a tee, a lot of guys at that time that had made the Palma team, uh, the U.S. Palma team, had trained with small bore rifles. So uh, you know, there was—it's uh, a different beast, but yet it's a—it's a great uh, accent to to high power uh, offhand or prone whenever you're shooting it. Uh, Carl Bernofsky, uh we built him a 52 uh, C Winchester uh, that he would use in the winter, just practicing uh, his offhand and rapidson stuff with that small bore gun, so he could keep in, in kind of in tune with it. So there's there's a little bit to that.
2: I, uh, You've mentioned Carl a couple of times. Carl's one of my favorite people. He's, uh, uh, He was a McMillan fan uh, in the early days, and, mm-hmm. and he's always been such a great guy. Um, unlike some of the guys who get that type of notoriety, who let it go to their heads and, and think that they're a lot more important than they really are. Uh, Carl's never been that way, and I really like him. I want to get him on the show one of these times. And I think the last time I was with him, we were talking, and, he's, and I think he told me that David Tubb had never beaten him went shooting head to head so uh, Carl's won a lot of national championships and and yeah. when you think of David Tubb and you think about what type of type of shooter he is Carl is absolutely right there with him and I I'm not sure who my money would be on if, if we put him you know on, on a head-to-head match
4: yeah they're 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 both great shooters uh, I've uh, had uh, you know I used to do some work with David and of course with with Carl but I, and and I've never really got to meet David, personal, like you know, Carl's been working with me now for well over ten years. But I'll t- Kelly, I'll tell you something about Carl Bernoski. If he, if, if if you were just in my shop and you didn't know him, he'd come in and we would talk all about the shooting and the love of the game and the stocks, And when you le- when he left, you'd never know that he's a national champion. He never, he just he's the most humblest person. Uh, you just don't he just doesn't talk that way. He yeah, as you know he does his talking on the firing line and he is uh, you know it's it, what amazes me uh, kelly is that he goes out there and he shoots his high power and he just he has to sometimes mess up for someone to beat him to be honest and then he'll turn around and pick up this action pistol and be right there in the top two three one
2: two three or four uh, it's crazy he's just
4: an outstanding shooter
2: well, he's an outstanding person and, and he's the kind of guy like that that I like to associate with. You know, when my father and I were uh, first starting off in the business and we talked about how we wanted to present ourselves and how we wanted people to view us, it was, you know, if I had to pick a guy, I'd like to be like Carl because I, I want my product and, and my actions to speak for myself. I don't want to have to tell people how special I am. And, and I think that uh, Carl exemplifies that. Um Great guy. And like I said, I want to get him on the show, so you Mm -hmm. you can put a bug in his ear for me, and uh, maybe we can get him on here before too long, because definitely one of the better shooters in the country uh, over the last 20 years, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were talking about Masterclass. You kind of moved out of the high-power stuff, um, and you're doing a lot of F-Class. I know uh, a lot of the guys that are buying my stocks now uh, have you do work for them. Uh, You do work for a lot of the U.S. uh, uh, FTR team. And, yeah, you know, that's when we really started talking uh, a lot uh, recently. Uh, talk about what it is that you do and how you perform a betting job that is maybe a little bit different. And I, I don't want you to give away any uh, trade secrets. I, I really don't think there are any. I think my dad always said, you know, when you're building a gun, it's not what you do right. It's what you don't do wrong. Yeah. So so I, I kind of believe that. but. It, give our listeners kind of an idea of of why people turn to Alex Sittman and MasterClass when they want the best job they can get.
4: Well, you know, I, I've been extremely blessed to have uh, some of these shooters, as as Team Sinclair and Derek Rogers, and you know, and Paul Phillips and all these guys, uh, Carl, uh, just a whole score of these fellows use me, and and we've never taken credit for their great shooting, but it does show kind of what the product you're offering the potential can be. so, And they also can give me good feedback on maybe where to tighten up uh, bedding or do whatever. But I think, Kelly, the greatest thing in pillar bedding, I mean, everybody and their brother factories now offer it, you know, and stuff. But I, I think the the greatest thing in pillar bedding is is the setup and, and is the preparation before you bed. Mixing up the compound, I use DEVCON plastic steel putty. I've, I've used that for... 20, I think 25 years now, I used to use uh, DEVCON aluminum F and F2 because that was what um, uh, Bob Peace Accuracy used to write about, and I tried it, and I thought, well, why go to two when I can do it with one? And it's done great. Uh, y- you know, we uh, we set up everything so that uh, I like about 100 to 125000 thickness in the bedding to, to make it very... Uh, very solid, very strong, real thin bedding uh, on some of these stalks, especially the wood stalks. Uh, I don't think really help against warpage or against uh, movement. Uh, that's just me, but uh, I don't think they do. Uh, we radius on a Remington or a round action. We radius the uh, pillars to the action. I always attach the uh, pillars to the action whenever I bet. And I always put the betting on the pillars and on the action before I lower it into the stock. Uh, I'll tell you, I don't think there's any secrets because, because you know, I've written on it and uh, people have called me. And, and I always want to share because Kelly gone way back uh, when I needed tips on something, there was one guy that I could call and knew he'd give an honest answer, and that was Dick Davis. And, you know, I never forgot that. Uh, when I'd call McMillan, I'd get a hold of Dick Davis, and he would give me uh, inf- the information I needed, and that goes back a, a, a good while. But uh, one of the things that I do that I don't think a lot of guys' bed and rifles do, uh, when I was just listening to you and your other show there, you were talking about the heat and stuff. And and here I am. It's It's kind of warm back here, so I'm running an air conditioner in my shop. But for me to cure bedding at 72 degrees and then a guy go out to, to Arizona and shoot when it's 110 or 115 or whatever never made sense to me, especially with the wood, wood laminate stalks. So when I bed my rifles, uh, after they sit a couple hours, I put a heat lamp about a foot above them so that the the action area and that surface gets about 110 to 120 degrees and i just let it cook and and i mean i can touch it but it's not too hot so that whenever i take it out it is thoroughly and and all the way through cured and and i don't think because a lot of guys are rushing and trying to get stuff out that a lot of times it's cured the other thing that i do that um uh, I, I think is I never cut a trigger guard, and that 's the last thing I cut because once I have my pillars, I use a nine sixteenth rod to line up my pillars and my screws that I attach them to are nine are 916 so that it's a, a good, tight, everything's in alignment. And then, uh, Kelly, whenever I turn it over in my milling machine to line up the trigger guard, I run that 916 pin between the you know, like rear hole, the front hole, until it's perfect alignment. And then I cut my trigger guard or bottom metal. That way I'm assured that it's squared to the bottom of the action so that when you tighten down, you're tightened down, as true as you can, you know, uh, on those action screws, which when it's done properly, if you're using 50 to 55 inch pounds, you should be in pretty good shape. the other thing that I do is is that uh, everyone says, what kind of release agent? What kind of release agent? The number, I've, for the last 25 years, the only release agent I use is Birchwood Casey Gunstock Wax. Uh, you just simply wipe it on. I use a Q-tip around in the lug and stuff to make sure it's in there. But here's the beauty of it. When that dries, and then I put that, uh, if you put it under the heat lamp... Once you're ready to take it out, it almost turns it back to a liquid and the actions just pop up out. Now, that don't mean nothing with a lot of these beautiful actions today, but when I cut my teeth on these old Model 70 pre-64s and some of those rougher actions, you know, with all the tool marks back when we built them for Camp Perry, uh, it helped a lot getting them out. So, you know, it's just time and, and cleaning them up and setting them up and making sure that Whenever you have them in a stock uh, before the bed, I have two contact points: the very tip of the tang, about a sixteenth of an inch, and the very uh, end of the barrel channel. And then when I bed it, there's no stress. I never tighten the screws. I never squeeze it. I just I have it so that I have uh, uh, areas for excess to kind of run off, and I just lower it, and I just run a piece of tape around the front and the back, and it's worked very well for me.
2: You know, it's really interesting for me to hear your process and and I'm glad you shared it with us because I have to admit that, you know, back when we first started doing work together and all all the your customers were telling me, Yeah, send it to Alex, but he doesn't want you to cut the port, the bolt and the and the the trigger guard, and I'm thinking I can cut that just as good as he can, and so I would get a little offended, but now I kind of understand why you do it that way, and you know what? Uh, what it says to me is that you're absolutely set on getting things as good as you possibly can, and for you, knowing that you've done it to up to your expectations and want to do it that way, you know that makes me feel even better about sending customers to you.
4: Well, Kelly, let me say that, and this is unsolicited, but but this is the truth. I said this to, to uh, Derek Rogers just the other day, uh, said about your inletting. Your inletting second to none. I've had stocks from everybody in the country and foreign countries. Your inletting is the best. I mean, you make stock makers out of people. You You make it easy for a lot of people putting together guns, whether it's hunting guns or target guns. And to be honest, when I flip over... Like your uh, uh, X eater and some of those, the trigger guards are are always they're pretty much always dead nut. So you you guys do a great job. It's just such a common practice for me that way. If especially on some of the wooden, wooden wood laminate stocks I get in, that guys are trying to cut these on a duplicating machine, and and it's just uh, it's just not a good way to do it uh... that way i don't have to try to worry about filling a gap or anything you know if it's an adl trigger guard at the five-eighths cut and it drops in just just perfect Then, and and that's all it is it's the setup and taking time before you make cuts to try to you know get everything just as accurate as you can so
2: I appreciate you saying that, Alex, and and I. You know, it's something that we pride ourselves on. When we do what we do, we want to do it absolutely as good as we can, and we like the feedback. Um, Two things you, you mentioned that I want to make a comment about. My father used to use Duro steel-filled epoxy when he first started bedding stocks mm-hmm. back in the late 60s, early 70s. And then about the, the mid to late 80s, Duro added cement to their steel-filled, and uh, it changed the whole dynamic, and, and he couldn't use it anymore. So he was looking for something that he really liked, and a friend of ours who was a customer also uh, owned a marine shop in, in uh-huh. Michigan and said, hey, why don't you try this Marine Tech and?" told us about it, and, uh-huh. and so we tried it. We use it, one, it's still field. There's two things that Marine Text does that we find that, that make it difficult for anything else to compete. One, it's tropic It'll stay on the re- uh, action when where you put it, or in the stock where you put it. It won't sag. And two, right. it cures uh, in, in a relatively short period of time compared to some of the other epoxies. And when you're in a business trying to, to make money putting things together, you want it right, but you also want to be sure. able to do it so that sure. you can make some money on it. The other is we've been using uh, Johnson's paste wax for um, 40 years. I mean, uh-huh. every stock ever made has the mold has been mold released with um, Johnson's paste wax. We use it to wax the receivers when we were bedding them. So mm-hmm. it's funny you you, you found. Uh, um, Birchwood Casey. Uh, same product, uh, really. It, it, it is. And yeah. it's, when you find something like that, you stick with it. And and you're right. Once you warm it back up, it does kind of turn back to a liquid and make uh, taking it out uh, right. a lot simpler. Hey, yeah, Alex, I hate to tell you this. We're, we're out of time. I, you know, time flies when you have a great guest. I've really sure. enjoyed talking with you. you. I hope I hope that business continues to be as phenomenal as you are, do you have a website you want to tell our listeners about? Uh, masterclassstocks.com. That's pretty simple. So, yep. if anybody looking to have uh, stock work done, don't expect to get it done in a week and, and have it turned around. But, but Alex, Sitman, absolutely the best stalker in the business. Uh, it would be worth checking out Masterclassstocks.com. Thanks again for being with us, Alex. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate it okay and for all of our listeners out there thanks for spending the last hour with us it, it's been a pleasure I love the guests that we had on this uh, this show and uh, look forward to uh, the show next week remember you can catch us uh, on demand by going to mcmillanusa.com uh, under the radio tab and you can hear us every Friday live voiceamerica.com on the sports channel thanks for everybody being out there and we'll see you next week
0: thank you for tuning in to taking stock with kelly mcmillan be sure to come back for more next friday at 2 p.m eastern time at 11 a.m pacific time on the voice america sports channel the weekend is here enjoy yourself we'll talk again next week